Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. LaDonna had just given me this bottle, and in light of what has been gone on on Friday in New York, as you know, they, uh, they legalized the, the abortion, you know, um, basically up until the birth, pretty much. So uh, it's, uh, it's a sad situation. But uh, if you want to kind of fight back against that, and the Pregnancy, Re- uh, Pregnancy Resource Center in Columbia is giving out these bottles. And what they would like you to do is, number one, just a reminder to pray for uh, what's going on there and that God will not allow that to sweep the nation, number one. But uh, also, if you want to help support that so that the voice continue to go all the way up to Capitol Hill, then uh, you can put a check in here. You can send it off to Pregnancy Resource Center. You can drop it off here, and uh, Ms. LaDonna will make sure it gets there. Those bottles will be in the Welcome Center directly after the service. If you want to grab one and uh, participate in that, please do that. And uh, obviously, we're, we're going to pray for that right now uh, um, and uh, ask the Lord to just intervene. It's... Uh, Listen, we're, we live in a fallen world, and, you know, it, it continues to, uh, you know, become more fallen, and we know that that's uh, the case, and so we're saddened, but actually we have not lost hope, amen, because we know God's in control. And uh, so let's just pray right now. Father, we come in name of Jesus, and we thank you, God, that um, this, this law that's been passed does not catch you off guard, Father, that... Uh, for whatever reason, the powers that be there have been in place by you, Lord, and so we trust that you know what you're doing, but at the same token, we know this is against your word. We know it's against uh, the, the, the entire principle that you stand for, which is life, and so we just ask, God, that you would move the hearts of people in our nation, Lord, to choose life, Father, to uh, understand that uh, the choices that are being made, Lord, are literally selfish, God, in, in, in the sense of uh, choosing my life over another. It's a sad day, Lord. We ask that your Holy Spirit just awaken people, God, to the reality of abortion and what it really is. Lord, help us to stop watering down the definition of murder. Lord, we ask you to just uh, change hearts and minds, Lord, and intervene in the situation. We thank you for uh, places like Pregnancy Resource Center and, and those that are standing up against that, Lord, we pray that you would give them a voice and that uh, your spirit would work mightily through them, Lord. And we as the body of Christ, Lord, we pray that um, we would continue to be steadfast in the call that we have, Lord, and that is to make disciples. Lord, we know that legislation can never uh, really do the work of uh, your, the, what the body of Christ is meant to do to make disciples. So, Lord, put an urgency in our hearts to go into the world and to to tell people about Jesus, Lord, and to hopefully transform this world one person at a time. We know that's how Jesus did it, and uh, we're following in his footsteps. So we just pray against this whole situation, God. We know that it, it appears that the enemy is winning, but he is not. We know the end of the story. Jesus wins. He already has one. Victory is in his name, and we just claim it even now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. If you have a Bible, open up with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And we have a subject today that is difficult to receive, and yet 
there is much truth, and we can learn a lot from the passage that we will go over this morning. Uh, if you've been with us, we're three weeks into a new series called The Joyful Life. It's the verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians. And, man, the, the last two weeks, i got to be honest, have been incredible for me. Uh, just really good to, to get a perspective of how to deal with all the circumstances that life throws at you and continue to remain joyful. And as we look at the Apostle Paul's life, this is a guy that is not uh, just painting theology in the sky. This is a guy that lived his life this way, and we get to see how, and how he navigated through the circumstances that he found himself in and how he had joy. This, this, this book of Philippians, as I've said before, is dripping with joy. This man, Paul, is literally just rejoicing even in his chains, being imprisoned, all the different things that he's experienced, you know, and yet he is continuing to remain joyful. And so uh, this, is, this is, could be life-transforming for you and for me if we allow the Holy Spirit the proper place in our lives to speak into our lives. So this morning, that is my exhortation to you is to hear what God would have to say to you this morning. Because listen, we live, as I said before, we live in a fallen world and stuff happens every day. You're going to continue to experience difficulties and suffering and pain and all of these things. But here's the thing. God is still on the throne and he is at work and he's doing a work in us and we can rejoice in that. And so we just want to remain joyful throughout the, the, the things that we will encounter in life. And ultimately, what we're doing is bringing glory to God. Amen. So will you stand with me? And we're going to read Philippians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 12. Some of my favorite portions of Scripture. It is actually my life verse. So Philippians chapter 1. And if you need a Bible real quick, does anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand. We'll get you one. We want you to have the Word of God in your hand. Um, Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, here's what we read. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word this morning. And for giving us the divinity of pain, the theology, the understanding of what you're doing in the midst of our suffering, that you're at work, that there is a purpose, that it is not pointless, the pain that we endure, we thank you, God, for your word declaring to us this morning that even in the midst of our pain, we can rejoice because it, the, the entire purpose of it is for the furtherance of the gospel and for the glory of your holy name. So we ask you this morning, Father, to, Lord, change our hearts as it relates to the suffering that we are enduring, to the pain that we might be experiencing even today. Lord, speak into our lives and just help us to receive what it is that your spirit would say to us this morning. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We just honor you. And we ask that your Holy Spirit come and teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Today we're going to learn about the divinity of pain. The divinity of pain. You might think that's a strange title. That there is divinity, literally theology, 
in pain and suffering. And Paul is going to display that for us through his own life. How to suffer well. And what it means as we encounter different various trials, as James would say. What the point of it is. We know that it's for God's glory and for our good. So we're going to look at uh, these verses this morning, verses 12 through 30. And the title again, The Divinity of Pain. The gospel is no better displayed than in the life of a person who is totally upside down and turned inside out, who's going through tremendous trials, and yet in spite of that, is still praising God. The gospel, the power of the gospel is no better displayed than a person that is going through it. And you know that to be true, because perhaps you've seen that in people. The, the, the testimony of somebody who is not just, again, speaking theology, but is literally applying the Word of God to their life, and they are walking it out in a real way before you and I. There's no greater testimony than that. And we see the Apostle Paul as he is dealing with the various things. If you're not familiar with the book of Philippians, he is in prison as he is writing this. And he's dealing with, you know, his own personal uh, Trials and tribulations and pains. And yet, he is praising God. He continues to praise God. Listen, Christian, you were created to bring glory to God. And your greatest platform will come in the midst of, listen, your deepest pain. Because that is when people are listening most intently. You know that? When you are dealing with difficulty the ears of the unbelievers are opened up. They're waiting to see what it is that you will do, how you will respond, how you will live. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but, listen, shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. We, we, we ask the Lord, Lord, will you, will you help me through this situation? Will you take me out of this situation? And yet, do you know that he put you in that situation? He allowed whatever circumstances to come in your life. Why? Because it's a megaphone for him. So that he can speak very, very directly into the lives of those around you. You said, Lord, I want to follow you. You said, Lord, I want to be a vessel for you. Your prayer is, God, will you use me? And when he does... We're, we don't necessarily want it like that, right? We're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not how I want to be used, Lord. Listen, if you want to use greatly, you will suffer greatly. You will suffer greatly. Not because God is putting the suffering upon you, but again, the enemy is at work. He is trying to stop the word of God going forward. And then we have the, just the natural consequences of sin in this world that are just going on. You know, we have... Uh, disease and various different things that happen to us as a result of the fall. It all goes back to the garden, folks. And so what we need to understand is that there is purpose in pain. God is up to something. Most of us will spend our whole lives trying to avoid the very thing that will produce the most Christ-likeness in our lives. The refinement that comes through the fire. 
We try to avoid this, the sufferings that we were promised through Christ. And by the way, this isn't a message to build a church. <laughs> these, these people flee at these kinds of messages, but it's the truth. We need to hear the truth. That's why we go verse by verse. Because we don't want to skip through portions of Scripture that will help us understand what God is doing in the midst of our life. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. Listen, the cup of affliction that you are called to drink is probably the means by which God is going to use to bring the most glory to him and, and for the most good in your life so that he can refine you and make you more like Jesus. I know that doesn't sound fun, and pain never is, but it's absolutely necessary. And listen, it is meaningful. God uses pain for his glory and for our good, and Paul illustrates that in his own life here. Again, he is not riding from an ivory tower. He is riding from prison. He is awaiting imminent judgment. He is perhaps even going to be put to death. He knows that it's coming, and yet he writes this book of joy. He writes this letter to these believers, and he is, he is dripping with joy. He, he's learned something that we need to learn. That no matter what's going on in our lives, that God is in control and he's up to something far greater than we could ever hope or dream. He is up to something. We've already read that, that, that in, in Paul's life he understands, even, even in verse 12, that what he is going through is for the purpose of furthering the gospel. That's the point. Let me drop some basic theology on you this morning. Just in case you've forgotten, your life in Christ is about furthering the gospel, not about furthering your own personal comfort. It's about bringing salvation to the lost, not more earthly pleasure to yourself. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. That, that's what it's about. When you came to Christ, he rescued you so that you could be a voice in the wilderness, so that you could be a source of hope to those who are lost. It is not for us to build some magnificent life in this world because this is temporary, and we know that. And yet we fall into that trap so easily that we just begin to go with the flow of the world. i got to have the house. i got to have the car. I have to have all these things. Why? Well, that's just because that's what we do. No, that's not what we do as Christians. We follow the Holy Spirit in the very path that Jesus uh, paved for us. And that looks differently in all of our lives. Some of you are called the career to build uh, the, the, the body of Christ in that way. It, listen, understand you're in ministry. Every one of you, if you call yourself a Christian, you are in full-time ministry. Wherever you go, it's for the purpose of Christ. It doesn't matter if you're in the grocery store or in the workplace or you're at a friend's house. You are there for the purpose of ministry. Don't forget why you exist Jesus Christ rescued you so that you could be a voice, so you could be what? A light in a dark place. He sent you, and he has purpose in everything that he's doing in your life. Jesus disregarded his own personal welfare for the sake of all of us. And we, as his followers, are to disregard our personal welfare for the sake of him. Paul says it like this. In verse 29, make your way there in Philippians 1, 29. It says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Whoa, 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 whoa. Suffer? 
not just believe, but you shall also suffer for his sake. Do you know that word right there, granted? You have been granted? It's, it's a difficult one to grasp because what it means is you are highly favored. You are highly favored by God. It, it's literally the, the root word of this Greek word here is haras. It's, it's the word grace. God's favor upon you. God, is, you are highly favored by God for what? So that you can suffer for Christ. So that you can suffer with Christ. You know, Peter and, and John, when they were there in the book of Acts, in I believe it's the fourth or fifth chapter, where they were there and they were by the gate beautiful and they healed that paralytic man. And, you know, he went in rejoicing and, uh, and all of that and they got thrown into prison for the healing of that man, for the preaching of the gospel, because they were proclaiming Jesus' name. And remember, they were beaten. And they were released, and remember as they left that place, they rejoiced, it says, because they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. I understand that that's not something that, you know, we normally would think. It's not, an, it's not a humanistic mindset, right? I'm going to rejoice in my suffering. But when you understand that you were suffering because you were being like Jesus, you will rejoice. Because when he came, he suffered for you. He was holy and righteous, and, and he lived a life that was honorable, and yet he suffered greatly. And when we can be counted worthy to suffer for him, man, that means that I'm being like him, and that's what I rejoice in. Not necessarily in the pain I'm going through, but in the fact that I was counted worthy to suffer for him. You might find yourself in great pain this morning. Understand, Jesus knows how that feels. He suffered for your sake. So you too are called to suffer for his sake. And I promise you that when you look back on your life in eternity, you'll say, man, it was all worth it. I'd do it over and over and over again. Just like Jesus would say about the cross. I would do it again and again and again. Why? Because I love you. Because I care for you. And when you see him face to face, uh, Paul says it like this. Let me just read this. 2 Corinthians 4, 13, 17. He said it like this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comprehension. Again, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There is coming a day when you again will look back on your life and you're going to say, man, that's all I had to do and I get all this. When your gaze hits heaven and you see Jesus and you are face to face with him, you're going to say, man, the things that I had to endure were light in comparison. Those, and I'm not trying to, uh, you know, say that your pain is, is light. It's, listen, we deal with some seriously difficult stuff in this world, some serious pain, like pain that people can't even get up from, right, without the grace of God. And yet... When you look back, and I don't care what that pain is, how great that pain is, you are going to say, man, it was light in comparison to what I'm experiencing now. This world is temporary. Don't forget that. Even in the midst of your suffering, don't forget that. This too shall pass. Christ is coming one day. You will see him face to face. You keep your eyes on the prize. My prayer is, as we move through these verses, the next few minutes, that your perspective 
will change as it relates to pain. That you will have a greater understanding of the divinity of pain. When you're suffering, that you understand that there's purpose in it. That God is, yes, he's at work, and we want him to take us out of the situation, but really what, what our prayer should be is God strengthen me in the midst of it. Help me to walk through it victoriously. That's the prayer. Your will be done, not my will be done. My prayer is that we can declare. We can make that same declaration that Job made in Job 13, 15a. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Your pain has purpose. God is at work and he is working everything together for your good. And sometimes all we can do is trust that. We don't understand it. We can't see it. We have to look to the things that are unseen, not to the things that are seen. We have to look into eternity. We can't look at the horizontal. We have to go vertical with our pain. We have to look to God and say, I know that you're in the midst of this, Lord. You're doing something. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to look to you. You're my source of hope, and I will, I will trust in you. There's three things that I want to show you this morning as it regards to uh, divinity of pain. Three theological truths that you need to understand in verses 12 through 30. First, in 12 through 18, we find pain has purpose. Secondly, in verses 19 through 26, we find that pain brings perspective. And finally, in verses 27 through 30, we find pain produces progression. First, pain has purpose. Look with me at verse 12 again. I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to, the rest of, to, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, Paul is sharing with us his personal testimony. He's sharing with us the things that he's experiencing and how he's experiencing, how he's getting through it. I appreciate that. I need that. I need to hear testimony. And this is a real man who went through real pain and he wants to tell you how to get through it. So here's what he says. He's telling them, listen, I, I, I know what it feels like to be in pain. Paul knows physical pain. He was beaten three times, almost to death. He, he knows what it feels like to, to have disease. He had some kind of an ailment that, that impaired him, whether it was his vision or literally a thorn in his flesh, whatever that was. He understands disease. He knows what it feels like to be inflicted in the bodily sense. He knows what it feels like to be rejected. Every place he went, he faced rejection. He knows what it feels like to experience trouble over and over and over again. Every place that he put his foot, Paul found he was met with some kind of trouble. Why? Because he preached Jesus. Because he preached Jesus Christ. When he refers to all that has happened to me, he's talking about his imprisonment. He's talking about from the point in which he was taken in shackles in Jerusalem where they were waiting to kill him, by the way, on the way out the door, to, to being transferred over, getting on a boat. He, he gets, uh, you know, they, they dock. He tells the, um, he tells the person there uh, at the dock, hey, the, the captain... It's winter. We probably shouldn't go. They don't listen to him. Then they get shipwrecked. They're at the, the island of Malta. He survives that. On the island of Malta, the guy gets bit by a viper. They're waiting for him to die. 
Again, all the whole point is he's not losing hope. He continues on. He gets delivered to Rome. And he starts to write letters to people in the midst of his pain. He starts to write letters. He's saying, listen, all that has happened to me, every single situation that I've gone through has a purpose. And the purpose is this. It is for the furtherance of the gospel, the advancement of the gospel. That word there, uh, really, the, the, the advancement, what, what, it, what it means is it's, it's declaring uh, this concept of where soldiers, Roman soldiers would send in the, this group ahead of time to an area where they were going to advance and they were going to, you know, take down. And they, these guys would go in before them and they would chop trees down and they would make a path so that the Roman soldiers could just parade in town and level the place. And that's the concept of what he's saying. He's saying, here's what, here's what Paul is telling us. He's saying, listen, the, the things that I'm going through, it's like God is using an axe and he is paving the way. And it's my pain that is, that is the axe that's chopping the tree down. He's paving the way for what? The gospel to come through so that the gospel can have a clear path into people's lives. And guess what's happening? That's exactly what is happening. He said the, the, the entire imperial guard has heard the gospel. Paul, being imprisoned, was guarded 24-7. Six-hour shifts. Roman soldiers would come. They would either be chained by him or be in the room with him. You know what Paul saw that to be? A captive audience. So what does he do? He shares the gospel. So as these soldiers continue to rotate in and out, he is speaking gospel truth into their lives. Every one of them is hearing the gospel over and over and over again. You can imagine the questions of these Roman soldiers. When you get them together, no doubt, as you know, you get people in a group and they're real tough, right? And they, they're, they're, they're not going to tell you really how they're feeling, but you get them alone. You have that one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody then, and, and particularly if it's the same person that keeps rotating in and out, right? You can get to start to build a relationship and you can pierce through the facade of the hardness. You can start to maybe get into their, into their brain and, and figure out what it is that they're struggling with. And you can speak Jesus into their life. And he did that, man. He was saying, I, I can't believe it. I, I, I mean, I can't wait to ask Paul, what was it like to, to talk to these Roman soldiers, man, these hardened men who had killed people and all of that, man? What was it like when you, man, I bet you he's going to say, man, some of those guys cried like babies on my shoulder as I gave them the gospel, as they understood that there was forgiveness for what they had done. Paul did not lose sight of his mission in the midst of his pain, folks. He saw it as a means of being able to bring the gospel to people that he maybe have never heard the gospel. Maybe there's no way to get to them. And maybe God has given you some kind of pain. Maybe he's allowed something in your life to get you to a place so that you can speak the gospel truth into somebody who is, you know, who is shielded from the, the outside world. Maybe they don't have anybody in their life that they've ever heard the gospel from. But maybe God's going to give you cancer so that you can go tell them that. Maybe it's a nurse or a doctor that needs to hear about Jesus. Is it worth it? Is it worth it for a lost person to come to Christ at my own uh, sacrifice? Absolutely it is, folks. Life is precious. We have to see it that way. Yes, my life, but understand, the life of others is precious. 
And maybe God is going to move the pieces of the puzzle around in your life, not in ways that you want him to, but in the ways that he wants to in order to accomplish his purpose for the gospel to be forwarded, to be advanced. Don't lose sight of the mission, folks, in the midst of your pain. Paul says, listen, the whole imperial guard has heard about the gospel and all of the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. All of the rest. Paul is saying, listen, it's going out into the known world why I am in prison. I'm in prison for the sake of Christ. I'm in prison for the gospel. You can imagine. You know how people are. They have never changed from day one. The conversations that are happening, that are being spread. You know, we, we like to chit-chat. We like to gossip. We like to talk about the things that are going on in town, right? You can imagine the big news when Paul shows up. Oh, what's this guy in, what's this guy in prison for? Oh, he's in prison. You know, do you hear that guy, Paul? He came into town, and now he's in prison, and, uh, you know, he's, he, he's in prison for the, for the gospel. What's the gospel? And then they begin to, all of a sudden, the gospel's being spread by way of people that maybe don't even know the gospel. It's amazing how God works, folks. Paul said the word was going out. The gospel was going forward. Oftentimes, we see our pain as, a, as some kind of a hindrance to the gospel when, in fact, it, could, it very well could be, and it probably is, a method that God is using to bring the gospel into other people's life, maybe even in your life. Do you really believe it? Do you really believe the gospel? He didn't promise us personal prosperity and comfort and, and all of that. He promised us peace in the midst of difficulty. He promised us comfort in our sufferings. He promised us that he would see us through every situation, and he will. But he's using it. There's purpose in pain. Paul goes on here, and, and look, he says, the gospel is going forward. My pain is being a catalyst to encourage others. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambitions, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Look at this. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Listen, when we suffer well, and what I mean by that is when eyes are drawn to Jesus as a result of the way that we're suffering. When we suffer well, it produces a passion in others to proclaim the gospel in their own life. Do you know that? Why? Because you're believable. Because you're believable. Because you're applying the gospel to your own life, and it's believable because people are watching and they're seeing you. How is he going to respond to this situation? I know he's in a lot of pain. How is he going to respond? And when you continue to point people to Jesus... By the way that you respond, you're suffering well. Paul is pointing people to Jesus, and the Spirit of God is emboldening other people as a result of Paul's personal testimony. Now, we understand that the motives aren't all pure. That's what he said. Some people are trying to step into the limelight. They're trying to take the the, the spotlight from Paul, and they're trying to say, hey, let me, let me step in here and let me become uh, the, the, the man, right? Dude, I love this perspective. I love this perspective where Paul is in, 
all of a sudden defensive about his own ministry. Oh, what do they look at? These guys are trying to step in and take my fame. He doesn't care about himself. He cares about the name of Christ being exalted. Man, if we will learn that lesson, folks, if we will learn the lesson of being the mirror and not caring about our name but elevating the name of Christ, man, it, it, you'll be amazed at what God can do in your life. But when we start to protect our own name and we're more concerned about our ministry rather than the name of Christ, man, God's going to set you on the bench because you're not usable. You're not, you're not doing it for him. You're doing it for, for yourself. Paul said, here, man, these guys, they were stepping in. They were trying to take over, and yet he rejoices in the fact that the gospel was going forward. It wasn't about his own personal ministry. Man, that pastors and, and ministry leaders would get this, right? It's not about Calvary Chapel. It's not about any individual church. It's about the body of Christ, and it's about the name of Jesus being elevated. <laughs> John, when he, when he, remember, he was the voice in the wilderness, and he started a ministry, and people started to follow him. And, and it, it's interesting because John dealt with this very thing that Paul talks about, but it was with Jesus. Here's what happened. Uh, John's disciples came to him, and it says in John chapter 3, verses 26 through 30, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, and all are going to him. Look how John responds. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness and I, that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Listen, therefore my joy is, the, now, therefore this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's what Paul is doing here. Christ has to increase. The name of Christ has to increase. Who cares about the name of Paul? It's the name of Christ. And here's what I know is that when you want to be exalted, you will be humbled. But when you are humbled, you will be exalted. And that's demonstrated in the life of the Apostle Paul here. He is exalted as a result of being humble and just saying, man, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And, and we have to keep that perspective. John the Baptist said, man, my joy is full. Why? Because Jesus Christ has come. I don't care about my personal ministry. I care about the name of Christ. I care about what Jesus wants to do. And my joy is in him. Paul kept the main thing, the main thing. Yeah? The main thing is Jesus. Keep the main thing, the main thing in your life, and you'll never, ever go wrong. Keep the name of Jesus at the forefront. And we as a body, not just Calvary Chapel, but as the body of Christ, need to learn this. Because we, people are squabbling over their own little personal ministries. And the name of Christ is being defamed as a result. So let it be said here that, hey, we're part of a body. We're not the body. We're part of the body, but we're not singularly the body of Christ. We're part of a greater body of Christ. And so let us rejoice in those that we can rejoice in. Now, oftentimes what happens is we hear about somebody's theology and we start to downplay them. Oh, yeah, I don't know. They, uh, <laughs> they do this in worship. Uh, we probably shouldn't. Man, we need to, you know, whatever. Hey, 
Here's what I want you to, here, here's the, the main thing is the main thing, Jesus Christ. Do they preach Jesus? Is it Jesus Christ and him crucified? Do not defame your brothers and sisters if they're preaching Christ. That's what Paul's saying. He calls out the sin. They're stepping in. They're, they're, they're doing it with selfish ambition. There's nothing wrong with declaring truth, but beware that you are not defaming Christ that's being preached in another church because you don't like their theology. Not everybody's going to agree with my theology, but I hope they understand that I am trying to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that's ultimately, at the end of the day, all that matters. It's the only thing that will get you into heaven, folks. I don't care if you believe the gifts are for today or you don't believe the gifts are for today. That is not a, that's not going to help you get into heaven. The only thing that will help you get into heaven is the blood of Christ, the confession of your sin, the turning over of your life upon uh, and believing in what Jesus Christ did, that he died and he rose again from the dead. That is the gospel. That is what we're called to preach. And yes, we should have positions on these things, and we should have these conversations, but let them not divide. Paul says, listen, whether in false or pretense, as long as Christ is preached. Paul goes on to give us a second point regarding the divinity of pain. That pain brings perspective. Look at verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Pain has a particular way of bringing perspective, doesn't it? it has, it's just interesting how it works, true or false. When life gets hard and pain is introduced, we abandon stuff that is really unimportant and we focus on things that are most important, true or false. When you're going through it, somehow your priorities get all straightened out, don't they? Pain brings perspective. Listen, if you find yourself in a situation where, you know, uh, well, let me, let, me, let me ask you this. What would you say is the most important thing in your life? What are you living for? We would all say Jesus, right? Because we're Christians. That's what we say. It's Jesus God. That's the answer for everything. Jesus God. <laughs> that's children's ministry. Sorry. Wrong class. But uh, um, we would say Jesus. But here's the reality. All you have to do is look at your life. What are you living for? What is the priority? Is Jesus the priority of your life? You can tell. But let me tell you something. When pain comes in to your life, oh, then Jesus becomes my best friend. Now, priorities change. I am focused on Jesus Christ, man. I'm I'm going to him. I'm, 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 I'm focused on him. I am uh, hoping in him that he's going to intervene in my situation because pain brings perspective. 
And it's sad to me that we have to <laughs> be reminded that way. Really, if you think about it, the, the trials in our lives, the things that God is doing, yes, in some ways it is spiritual warfare and the enemy is at work, but at the very same time, God is refining us. He's helping remind us of what the, what the most important thing is in our life, right? And, and unfortunately, he has to sometimes give us spiritual spankings, which produces pain, which we don't like, but it's beneficial. It brings perspective in our life. Most of us would say, you know, Christ, family, friends, the list would go on and on, the most important things in our life. No one would say career, finances, power, fame, materialism, right? No, no one's going to say that. You know, that, that would be self-centered and egotistical, right? But, and I know that's not my audience, so, you know, at least I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt of that, that that isn't my audience. But, but the reality is, listen, for most of us here, what we say is most important in our lives isn't until some pain is inserted in our equation, right? And then things become clear. It isn't until some pain is inserted in our equation, a spiritual spanking for disobedience, a life-altering disease to, that causes you to realize your mortality, the threat of divorce because you're not being the spouse that you're called to, a, re a rebellious teenager. Whatever the source of pain, you can fill in the blank all of a sudden. What is really important becomes your focus. The things that don't matter at the end of the day will fall to the wayside when pain has illuminated what has been neglected. It has the ability not... It has that ability, and uh, not everybody gets it, so God will continue to insert that until we do, until we get it. He wants us to understand. He wants us to get that right perspective. Paul's pain caused him to focus on the most important thing in his life, which was Jesus Christ. He focused on Christ. He focused on, and because he focused on Christ, his focus was also on others, right? Love God, love others. That's the greatest of two commandments. If you do these, you, you, commit all, or you have fulfilled all of the law. Jesus says, when you make me your prize, people will become your prize too. It's just the way it works. When, when, when you center yourself on Christ, all of a sudden you care about everybody else and you don't really care about what's going on in your life. That's Paul. That's what's going on. He is the example of what it looks like to truly love God and to love people. He has the proper perspective here. He understands as C.T. Studd had proclaimed, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's Paul's perspective in life. He has his priorities straight. And the pain that is being brought into his life only propels him further into that. What do I mean? He just said it. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. There's nothing more permanent in your life than death, right? Here's a guy who's sitting here waiting for his death, believing that he could be beheaded at any point in time. And he's saying, I'm going to keep my perspective on Christ. I'm going to keep proclaiming the gospel, and God begins to use that, and he, and, he, and he begins to move through the Apostle Paul because he has the right perspective. What Paul knew was this, that through the prayers of these believers in Philippi and the help of the Spirit of God, he would be delivered. He would either be set free from prison or he would go on preaching uh, the, the gospel to other people at some point. He would be reunited. He, he knew that he would be delivered in some way. 
He considered both ways to be deliverance. Sometimes we think God fails us when he doesn't heal us. Sometimes we feel like God fails us when he doesn't get us out of the, the, the pain that we're in or the suffering that we're going through. We think, God, why did you fail me? Why aren't you showing up? And I promise you, when you get on the other side, you'll see how he showed up. You'll see what he was doing in the midst. We can't understand it now. These are the things that we trust in, that we walk by faith, not by sight. We say, Lord, I'm going to trust you even though I don't understand what's going on in my life. I don't, I don't, I don't like what's going on. I don't understand it but I'm going to trust you anyway. I want my perspective to be about eternity, not about this life, not the temporary. Paul understands that he is going to be delivered. He has that eternal perspective. If a person has put their faith in Jesus Christ, then let me tell you something. Death is not the worst-case scenario. It is actually the best-case scenario. It becomes the vehicle to take us from this fallen world into a perfect world, right? That's the perspective, but yet, oftentimes, again, when we deal with this, this issue, we, 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 with, with death, there's, it's so permanent, it rocks us, even if it's a believer. I remember when my dad died a couple years ago. Was I sad? Yeah, I was sad, but at the same time, I was rejoicing, and I'm still rejoicing. Listen, my dad had all kinds of issues, and I'm praising God that he no longer has those issues. He is in heaven. He is with Jesus. He has been changed. He's been transformed. He is no longer the, the dad that I knew here. He is the perfect version of the version that he was supposed to be here. Praise God for that. And I rejoice in that. That is the perspective of the Christian, you know. And it's hard because we, we have that relationship and that pain is there. But here's the thing is we, we let hope make up the gap. We let hope fill the gap in that relationship. And we know that it's not see you, it's just so long. I'll see you again. For the believer, man, death is not the worst case scenario. Paul is saying that, man, to live is Christ, to die is gain. This is my life verse. Now, it can't be everybody's life verse, but it happens to be mine. And the reason it happens to be my life verse is because when I was dealing with the concept of death and having all kinds of anxiety over it, and as an unbeliever at 24 years old and waking up in the middle of the night, gasping for air, thinking I was dying, and, and not understanding eternity and not being in a relationship with Jesus, I heard about the gospel, but I had never received the gospel. And I came to a place where I realized, man, I need Jesus I am so tired of this fear that is crippling me. And what was interesting is that God put me in a position to use my pain to bring perspective. Here's what happened. I, 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 was, I understood. I came to this realization at 12 o'clock midnight in, the, in my bedroom, not at a church, not because a pastor gave an altar call, because Jesus was with me in that moment, and he was speaking life into me. And, 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 he, and I had this realization, I am going to die. I will die. That is a fact. Ten out of ten people die. So, because I have the information, what am I going to do with it? Well, then the next question becomes, how do I go to heaven? Because I believe in a God, and I believe in heaven, and I believe that Jesus came. So I'm gonna, I didn't have those obstacles to overcome. 
You know, Jesus had already done that work in my life. He already sowed those seeds. I had already had that understanding. And I came to a place where I said, okay, so I need, the, I need Jesus is what I need. And so I prayed a prayer to God. God, I'm giving you my life. I don't understand any of this, but, I, I, you know, I need you right now. I'm desperate. I'm scared to death to die. I don't know where I'm going to be. I don't know what's going to happen to me. But what I know is I want to be wherever you are because I've heard that you're a great God. You're a, this is just me filling in the blanks. I'm not really saying all this, okay? So just follow me. But, but the idea is that I, I'm un, having this understanding. The Lord is, is revealing to me himself in this moment. And I finally get to a place where I say, okay, I bow my knee to you, Lord. And I receive Christ as my Savior. Do you know that in that moment, you know, there was instant peace in my heart? You know, I just, instant peace in my heart. And for the next two years, as I dealt with anxiety, you know, just through the scriptures and allowing the scriptures to minister to me in this particular issue of death, having the proper perspective, the Lord just spoke into my life and he said, and I came across this passage in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. You can't say that about any other thing, folks. For me to live is, you know, whatever, my career. For me to live is, you know, my finances. For me to live is what? All of that is lost when you die. The only thing that is gain is what is eternal. That is Christ. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I came to that realization in that moment, man, as the scripture leaped off the page to me, and I grabbed hold of that, and, you know, that delivered me from my anxiety. It gave me the proper perspective. And maybe you need to hear that today. Listen, some of us shut out death because we don't want to think about it, but it will happen. And you need to be prepared for it. If you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not ready. And if you're not ready, you will be separated from God. And that should put fear in your heart. You don't want to be separated from God on the other side of eternity, I promise you. There is a real place Jesus talked about. It is called hell. And he came to save you from that. But you have to receive him in your life. You have to make him the Lord of your life. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to rescue you. And if you're in a place of fear of death, you know, it could be maybe you're not in a relationship with Christ, or it could be you just don't have the right perspective. And so this morning, my prayer is for you, that you will understand what Paul wrote here, and you will say, to, for me to live as Christ. You have to understand, he's perhaps going to be beheaded. He understands that, but he's saying, I believe that no matter what, if I die, it's gain to me. Like, I'm going to be, you know, reunited with my Savior, man. I can't wait for that. And we all say that, right? I can't wait to go to heaven. It's just like Kenny Chesney, you know, that song. You know, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Until you realize, until you have the right perspective, then you want to go because you get it. Then you get it. Paul says, man, I want to go. In fact, if it were my choice, he said, man, I'm, I'm torn between the two. I'd rather go to heaven, but I guess I'm here for you because I love you too. Paul had the heart of Christ. He said, man, this is not about me. This is about Jesus. And he said, I, I, would, I would choose to go to heaven because that's far better for me. But I understand that you need me in your life, and so I'm going to... I, I would choose to stay for you. Paul even said it like this about his own countrymen. He said, I would give up my own salvation 
for that they would be saved. I would give my life over. That is a selfless man who is living out the life of Christ. He said, man, he had the proper perspective. Now, here's what I know, is that Paul had anticipation also that he would be delivered. He's not just saying it's doom and gloom, I'm going to die. But he says, I believe that I will be delivered. Now, this is a, a perspective that's not necessarily written in Scripture. But the, the dating of Titus in First and Second Timothy suggests that, that Paul was released for a period of time from this Roman prison. And that he was re-arrested. And then he was most probably beheaded by Nero in A.D. 67. But perhaps for two or three years, Paul got out of the Roman prison. He was delivered in the bodily sense. Like he went out and he shared the gospel and continued to encourage the saints, got rearrested, got thrown back into prison, and then he met his maker. He was beheaded by Nero, who then, you know, when the, when the, when the Jewish revolt came up and Rome came against the Jews, Paul was beheaded at that point. What we know is that no matter what, he kept the perspective in the midst of his pain that it's about eternity. Finally, we come to the third point where we see pain produces progression. Look what Paul says. Only let your manner of life, verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them that they're of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that you, for, for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul's pain produces progression. That's what James chapter 1 says, right? Consider it pure joy when you encounter these various trials because these trials progress you. They produce godliness in you. They produce faith in you. They produce hope in you. They produce steadfastness in you. There's progression. You're, you're being changed. Paul says, don't, don't go the opposite way when you're in pain. Progress. Let that pain propel you. You know, for some reason, uh, I, I, I have an infatuation with Navy SEALs. I think they're, 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 they're incredible human specimens of what you can do physically, right? It's amazing what these guys can do, but here's the thing. This is the slogan of... of you know, a Navy SEAL, it, literally, it is to have an unbeatable mind because it's about the mind. It's about your mind, of conditioning your mind in such a way that will propel your body way further than you could ever think that it could be propelled, right? And, and so they, they train themselves to have an unbeatable mind. It's a mindset. What does the Bible say about let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus also? the unbeatable mind of the Christian. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
If you want to progress in Christ in the midst of your pain, you have to have the right mindset. You have to understand that though he slay me, yet I will still hope in him. I will, I'm just going to praise you, God. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you that you know what you're doing, and I know you do. Paul is asking these Christians to progress, to cause their life to be lived out in such a way that it would be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does that look like? What is a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ? We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about pursuance. We're talking about somebody who is pursuing Christ, and, and although you fall down, you pick yourself up and you keep going. You want to progress, you can't give up. You've got to have the right mindset. Paul is encouraging these believers in Philippi and also us here today to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. When Jesus comes, are you going to be happy with the life that you lived? You're going to say, Lord, look at this life that I live for you. Here it is, God. Here's my life. What do you think? Or are you going to stand in the back and say, man, I hope he doesn't call on me next? <laughs> do I have to have a turn? You know? Live your life for Christ. Progress, grow. Don't stay the same. Let the Holy Spirit push you further than you are today. Listen, there is a serious, serious stagnancy in the church. Serious stagnancy. People aren't growing. That's why people are fleeing. They're bailing on the church. Why? Because they don't have the, they don't, they're missing the point. It's not about me. It's about Christ. I'm not progressing, and if you're not progressing, you're digressing. If you're not moving forward, you are moving backward. There is no in-between with God. There is no neutral ground. You're either for him or you're against him. You're either going towards him or you're going away from him. Paul wants to encourage every one of us to do that, to go forward. He said that I may hear that you're standing firm in one spirit. What does he mean? Is he talking about the Holy Spirit? No, he's talking about individual spirits being knitted together, going the same direction, that you are standing firm with one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, that you have a mindset as gospel-centric, like the, the gospel is at the center, and if everybody has the same mission to make Christ famous, then guess what? then God can use you in a great way. But if you're disunified and everybody's got their own mission, well, no, I think we should do this, I think we should do that. No, let's bring it back to the gospel. That's the mission of the church, to know Christ and to make him known. And if we have that mindset, we will be of one spirit, and then God can further use this body. Listen to what he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what's happening out there. Yeah, we understand what's happened in New York, right? We understand what all the legislation that's going on. Do not be afraid. Continue to proclaim the gospel. Continue to bring forth the name of Jesus no matter what. And when you do, it will be a clear sign. To who? To those who don't believe. Of what? Of their impending judgment. At the fact that they will one day stand. Listen, you don't even understand what God is doing as you're living out your life, as you're living a gospel-centric life, you don't even understand the weight of, what, of what's going on there. 
and how God is using it. You don't even have to say a word. God is saying you just live your life the right way and you're going to be, uh, you're gonna be uh, you know, convicting people uh, of their eternal reality. That they are going to be, they're coming one day, they will be destroyed. They will live in eternal torment. It will remind them of that. It will be a clear sign of that. But it will also be a clear sign of what? Your salvation. It will be a clear sign of your salvation. What, it, what will be? The unity of one spirit, of one mind. The unity of the body working together. It will become a sign. It will be fruit. Paul says, for it's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. In the midst of your suffering, don't draw back. He said, engage in the same conflict. Don't take your foot off the pedal. Don't take your foot off the pedal spiritually. Engage in the war. And you know what? God is going to do amazing things. There is purpose in pain. There is perspective in pain. And there is progression in pain. So what's stopping us? Us. You. If you're self-focused, if you're focused on yourself and and what's going on in your life and, and you're only worried about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity, then what, what will happen is you'll miss this. You'll miss the opportunities that God is bringing before you. And God doesn't want you to miss it, and you don't want to miss it. I'm not saying we, um, we seek out pain for the purpose of, uh, you know, being a witness to the Lord, because that would be, again, self-seeking. What we do is we... We go through whatever God puts before us and we do it as well as we can. And we keep our focus on Christ. So I know that, you know, there's a lot of pain in here. But here's, here's the thing. Is that God can do amazing things if you let him through it. He's at work. And I'll tell you, I've, I've been going through probably the most personal painful things and you know, the last several years, the last couple years. But I want to tell you that God is strengthening me and, and bringing joy in my life in the midst of it, and he'll do it to you. So this morning, it, it, that's, will you just pray with me real quick? Father, we thank you so much for your word, how you meet us where we are, Lord, how you remind us of these incredible truths that are not pie in the sky, but they are very, very near and dear and so powerful, Lord, for us to understand. We thank you for your love, Lord. We thank you that you love us enough to continue to work in our lives, to, to, be, to, to continue that work, to complete it to the end, Lord. I just want to pray, Father, over every person in this place this morning that is experiencing this pain in their heart that they, are, they don't understand, circumstances that have come out of nowhere that are just rocking. Lord, what are you doing? I just want to ask you, God, to strengthen us, Lord, to give us courage, Lord, to stand firm, 
and to not shrink back in the midst of our pain, Lord, but to allow it to become a platform that your name would be glorified, that people would come to know you, Lord, as a result of what I'm going through in my own life. And so this morning, Father, I just ask you to just touch each person in a real way, in a real sense, bring comfort that only you can bring, Lord. Give us peace through the midst of the, the pain and help us, Lord, to suffer well for your name's sake. It's about you. Lord, produce that Christ-like character in us, the selflessness, Lord. And elevate your name. Get glory from our lives, God. We just thank you for this morning and we just ask you to continue to do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, before we dismiss, I just want to encourage you if you like prayer this morning, to come on down after the service, we'll pray with you, and uh, take heed to what was to the what the Word of God says here this morning, and don't run, run don't run away, run to God, Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.